Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives we lead on our path to self-mastery. Today on the show, we have Rich Malika. Rich is a counselor and pastor outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who grew up being taught that men are sociopaths and that beating and mistreating women was not only normal, but it was expected of men which is completely wrong. But Rich has some incredible stories and insights from his experiences and shares great tips for anyone in a difficult situation or dealing with difficult and toxic people in their lives. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Rich, hello and welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're with us. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's good to be here. Yeah, man, I'm glad that you're here. So you and I kind of go way back, um, but from, let's say from the neighborhood in a sense, um, can you tell us one thing that you do for a living and one thing that most people don't know about you? So I, I do a lot of work with addictions, human trafficking, uh, as in my role as a pastor. And one thing people may not know about me is, uh, is that part of my work over the past 10 years uh, has involved uh, a lot of getting people out of situations when they're they're in human trafficking and they're under pimp domination. That's some pretty heavy stuff right off the bat. Wow. So why would you say that most people don't know that about you? Well, I mean, the people that are close to me know I'm passionate about it, um, but people that I just you know kind of know um, passingly or that work with me in as a pastor or as an, of, um, an addiction counselor. Uh, I think the majority of people don't even know that that issue exists locally. So when I tell people about it, you know, a lot of times they, they have a, a misconception about what I'm doing. They think I'm, I'm working with foreign nationals or I'm doing international stuff. It's American citizens in upper Darby to Allentown. Let's take a step back. Give us some context. How did you get to where you're at today and what makes you you today? So I came up in a really traumatic family. There was uh, incest, alcoholism, uh, domestic violence, suicide, and I was just really, really struggling, you know, and I thought I found my solution in drugs uh, and in a particular lifestyle. It left me drier than I started. And I, I didn't want to live that way anymore, but I didn't know what, you know, what are my alternatives? You know, I didn't see any trailblazers showing me a different way. Uh, and then I got to a place where I had a spiritual awakening and I was able to connect uh, to some people that I didn't know existed that were about, you know, coming from the kind of life I had into a life that was healthy and hopeful. What about that has led you to do what you do today? I, I heard people a lot of times say like, you know, you become who you needed. And I think that's a lot of my story. I needed somebody that wasn't going to judge me, that wasn't going to, you know, try to control me um, or, or put an agenda on me, but that was going to walk and journey with me in, in love. Um, while at the same time telling me, you know, you're going to step on your own air hose, buddy. Like, you know, you got to switch it up or you're going to get hurt. And I think just, you know, trying to give back what I was given by the people that, that ended up investing in me just created a whole new life. And I, I feel like it's who I truly always was. I just didn't know how to be it. 
So one of the biggest things about this podcast is breaking down the in-between, uh, where you were and where you are now, and that how you got there and how you managed your mindset. But coming from the background that you had to helping the people that you help today, how did you manage your mindset and not become one of those people even back, you know, 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, whatever that was? It started, um, it started with just it, 25 years ago, just believing that, you know, the people that I was encountering that said they were like me, you know, felt genuine, felt honest, and not believing the lie that I couldn't. You know, there was a lot of people that I would encounter that were like, that would say to people like, oh, yeah, young buck, don't do this, don't do that, don't be like me while they're smoking crack or while they're shooting dope. They're telling somebody else, don't do this. And I, I've, a really seductive lie is, you know, I'm, I'm made to be this way. You know, that's all the messages I got from my family. You know, this is what you're worth. This is what you can do. This is what you can accomplish. I was laughed at for going to college. I was laughed at for getting a job as a telemarketer. I mean, that sounds crazy. But in my family, if you were a man, you, you did construction work. You collected a paycheck. You lived off a woman. Like those were your options. So I had to, a day at a time, <laughs> um, believe that the things people were telling me could be my life. I was going to invest in and I was going to shut out the noise and the people hating on me that I was going to just for, and I had to make it a small increment because it's so powerful. It feels so overwhelming coming from the people that you, known your whole life, the people you love. Uh, I just had to believe that just in this moment, uh, I can choose a different path and that can free me to be who I feel in my heart I am. When you feel like that was your story and that's what you were being told you were meant to be, almost like it was predestined that you were going to be the way that they were all um, currently being, and how did you change your story? What did that look like? What was that mental workout like? I mean, there's so much, you know, there's so many different ways I can answer that. The one thing I'll say is I had to be around people that had different stories. I had to be around people that got to ground different than, than I had ever seen. And just, I had to, to center myself in that. If I was too far in the other old world, gravity just takes over. One of the things that's awesome is I've gotten to help a lot of those people, you know, then come out later. You know, it's like the lobster bucket you know, or the crab bucket, rather. If a, a crab tries to get out of the bucket, they all pull him down, you know, because they're afraid, you know, he's going to be up on top of me. If one of us gets out, well, then we got a path. Maybe we can all get out together and not get boiled, you know. And I've been blessed to be able to help some of those other folks get out now. Um, the other thing is redefining who I am, like taking an inventory of who I am and, and redefining it. I was always taught empathy was a weakness. I was taught if you were a man, you were a sociopath and you took advantage of women, you know, you broke their minds so that they needed you. And that's really what I was taught. And I could never do that. So I was, you know, I was weak. I was, you know, insert feminine 
um, slurs here, I wasn't a man. And I had to look at who I am and in community and by myself, redefine that. Do you still have conversation with the family members that, forgive me if this sounds a little harsh, but gave you that poison? No, my, my father died when I was 18. And uh, my mother uh, died two years ago. She was the only person uh, that, I, that I allowed in, even though there was poison there. There was also love there. You know, it was a complicated relationship. But everybody else, uh, I had to, I'm, I'm moving away from you in love. You know, I love you. I don't hate you. You know, hey, nobody gave me a, you know, an attaboy or a parade for that. But if I stayed in that, even if it didn't wound me at all, which it would have, I would have transferred all that into my family. And I, I am dedicated <laughs> to to trying to give my family a different story and starting ground than I had. And that meant distancing from my family of origin. And I think we've all heard before, you are the sum of the five people you hang around with the most. And that does consist of family. If they are part of that five, family, friends, coworkers, whatever that looks like. So for you to go through all of what you went through and be able to say, I can't have this relationship um, or even connect with you anymore. I think there are people that listen to this podcast that feel like they need to make that decision, but are afraid to make that decision because it's the unknown, right? You know, it's the God knows what's going to happen and how they're going to feel or how I'm going to feel. So what would you suggest for somebody that's going through that and really does need to make that decision? You're not helping anybody by by absorbing their abuse. It's not helping them either, you know? And I think at different points, I felt like, you know, my love will win the day, my loyalty will win the Mm -hmm. day. And it was just harming me and not helping them. Look up any resource you can, YouTube is full of them, TikTok is full of them, on narcissistic relationships. And you will start to understand the patterns that you're, you're being grinded apart by. There are two different ways to separate. The one is called gray rock. And that's essentially, you know, choosing where I can meet you. You know, I can talk to you on the phone and that's it. And if you get out of hand, I'm hanging up the phone. Uh, Or I can see you, but only in a public place and only for a specified amount of time. You know, you set the parameters and then there's just going cold and just severing the relationship indefinitely or at least for right now. And that's a personal decision. You know, with my mom, uh, I could have justified severing the relationship uh, for some of the things that we went through. But I didn't want to do that. I saw, I saw the value in, in maintaining a relationship with her. And the last year of her life was the best we ever had. For my extended family, my aunt tried to stab my mother. She set fire to her husband's house and went to prison. I got a phone call from one of my family members that struggles with mental illness that if I kept making my cousin fat spiritually through my witchcraft, um, they were going to kill me. And Nick, I know it must seem like an obvious decision, but I still labored, (laughs) you know, but it was just too crazy. 
and too chaotic. You know, I just, I remembered, and I saw it in the life of my daughter, you know, as a potential future for her. I remember being a kid, like trying to figure out, you know, why aunt such and such was saying this or thinking that. And I just, I, I, I won't allow it. It can't, I can't transmit that pain. It's not helping my extended family. It's only hurting my current self and family. So for anybody struggling with that, I, I would just weigh it out with counsel, with support people, and please do your research. Look up narcissistic relationships. It will equip you to understand this system. Are there some signs or things that you can point out that people can be mindful of? Sure. I think gaslighting has kind of entered into the common vocabulary. But when, you know, people say things, do things, and I just go, oh, what are you talking about, honey? You know, you just got to get a thicker skin. I don't even, I didn't mean that. If that's a pattern, you know, that's one thing to look at. Love bombing. You know, it starts off with adoration and affirmation and, oh, you know, romantic relationship. Oh, baby girl, you know, we had a good thing. Whatever happened, you know, and then you go right back. It doesn't take long. And they become stingy with affirmation, heavy on criticism. And they set themselves up as the only person that can give you value. And if you look at it on paper, it's insane. I've seen women that were making all the money in the household that were handling everything. But they felt like they, and this was my, my mother and father, the women felt like they were being given a favor for paying for everything, for doing all the work and absorbing all the abuse. You know, he condescends to keep me around. I remember saying to my father, I think I woke up a month later, um, he would always talk about spending money on me and on my mother and how we're freeloaders. And we were all on welfare. So I said to him, Dad, I get a paycheck too, just like you. You know, I want my check. You know, I woke up and it was two years later. <laughs> but like separating yourself from it up for a minute, analyzing what's actually happening. And having, you know, there's always trying to cut you off from resources or outside people that will help you in your perceptions. You got to fight that. You got to connect to people that you can actually, you know, trust their mirror a little bit, whether that's a therapist or pastor or person in a 12-step group. You need to get out of the box so that you can see it a little bit more clearly. Yeah, it takes people being uh, aware of what's going on, what's actually happening. And it can be so easy for us. And I think everybody's done this. They've been in some sort of relationship where they've allowed things to just be, however it is. And then they get out of the relationship and think, what, what was wrong with me? What was I thinking? Why did I allow this? Or why did I allow that? Or why did they allow this? Or why did they allow that? I know you work with people at different times that deal with narcissists. But do you also work with the people that are the narcissists? Because I would imagine that it's slightly different of how they have to go about fixing their problems. One thing just to say to the previous question, once you realize that it's a game, that it's a formula, and that it follows a similar pattern, it blows your mind because you always think it's about me. And then realizing it's not about me, this is all about control. And it's a playbook. In my working with narcissists, I'll be honest with you, I have not seen uh, great results. It's very hard to navigate a narcissistic relationship in any way that creates uh, systemic change. 
it can be done. But if you look at um, Dr. Romani is on YouTube, uh, she's very cold um, and factual about the likelihood of that happening, in particular, if it's a malignant, you know, physically abusive, um, vindictive narcissist. They're kind of levels. You know, if you're married to a Hollywood actor, they're probably somewhere on that spectrum. <laughs> but you might be able to to live with that level of narcissism when you get into kind of what I'm talking about, where it's it's more volatile. I mean, a lot of times it's just damage control, honestly. What you're talking about is vastly different financially than somebody in, from Hollywood who's a narcissist and constantly has a camera on them. That's got to be tough to be in the limelight and have all of that. Uh, that's a whole different story. I think really what we're talking about are the people that are either poor or middle class, or it could be rich people. It's poor-minded. You know, they, the negative mindset and that fixed mindset of not being able to grow, not being able to get out, so everybody else should drown with me. And like you said, the crab being able to pull them back down. And for that one narcissist that's listening to this show, you can go away now. For the others that may think you're a narcissist, you're not. You're just a jerk at times. And I, I'm right there with you. I get that. So how do you, Rich, help the people that are um, on that path to be able to get out of that, whether they be in their teens or in their 50s, 60s? How do you work with those people? The first thing is just non-judgmental report. I'm not going to judge you, you know, it, and I, I used to early in my counseling days, try to save people from these relationships. And that's a disaster. Um, I just let them know I'm here, let them know they have options, mirror back to them, you know, what I see in them of value, try to build, you know, a different mirror of yourself, you know, look at what you accomplished, look at what you survived, those kind of things. Um, you're handling a household and three children and he hasn't worked in 10 years. That's amazing. You know, so those kind of offering resources, uh, just trying to build outside connection without threatening it, because if you threaten it, it just turtles up when the narcissist or the abuser feels threatened, um, and the person's not ready yet to jump, um, then you just get cut out. And that happened to me 20 times before I realized this isn't the way to navigate this. So how did you get through that? Or just was it a matter of numbers game or the 20th time you slapped yourself in the face and went, got it? Yeah, it, just seeing it and then trying to just be the, re, the connection. You know, like I, if you're with them forever, I love you. I'm here with you, support you, whatever you decide. Giving them autonomy, which they have anyway, you know, but affirming it. I had a, a woman who was being severely beaten. Um, and almost killed while pregnant. And this happened to her multiple times. She got out once, I helped her get out, and she ended up, you know, after she had the child, going back. Because I want my baby to have a father, and he's talking different. And then a year later, uh, the abuse got worse, it always escalates. And she came back um, because this was a safe relationship for her. She knew I wasn't trying to control her, she knew I wasn't trying to shame her or take advantage of her in any way. And now I'm extremely proud that, you know, she's a single mom raising her son 
um, is going back to college, has a great job, but it's, it's, it's chess, not checkers for sure. You've gone through a lot of stuff and you've helped a lot of people through a lot of things as well. Are there any major points in life or situations that you can look back at and say, wow, that was a moment in time that changed me? Yeah, I can think of several. When I was my first, uh, I was sober for about a year and my mother was in one hospital, psychotic, tied to a bed. My grandmother fell and her feet were touching her back when she fell. She was in Taylor Hospital. I was going back and forth from both and I got fired from my telemarketing job because I was missing too much time. And that voice of, you know, you, you, you're an idiot for thinking that you could do different. Go back. You know, what are you, schmuck? Like, what are you doing this for? Was screaming. And I leaned into prayer. I leaned into my support. And in, in our crises, in our, our greatest obstacles lie our opportunities. And my mother and grandmother started to talk again. They hadn't spoken since my dad died. I got them both back. And I ended up getting a job at a rehab. I didn't think I was good enough to do that work. But a friend said, hey, just give it a shot. You have enough clean time. And that became the next 23 years of my life. If I never hit that hard time, you know, I never would have broken through. Buddhists call it radical acceptance. You know, Christians call it carrying a cross. Just looking at the obstacle as the way and just taking it a minute, an hour, a day at a time. You get blessings. I got blessings that I never would have found in in status quo. I never would have found in just lazy days. <laughs> um, they were my best um, waymakers. When I was at the rehab for two years, we lost five kids uh, to overdose, car accidents, and suicide. And I didn't know how to cope with that. I loved the kids I worked with. I looked at them as, as my family at the time. I very much, you know, counselors would say I over-identified. I loved them, and I lost five of them. And then they closed down our unit. So it wasn't even a, you know, I can double press now. I can, I can take this energy out on helping the next kid. And the same thing that, you know, I just had to press into my supports, press into prayer, press into positivity. And that ended up uh, creating a resilience in me and a passion in me that's sustainable. That could have destroyed me. And I think it could destroy anybody. The only reason it didn't is because I, I pressed into the things that transform suffering into meaning. How did you get to that in that tough time? to be able to understand that I got to press into this. I think it helps a lot when it's survival. You know, um, a lot of people talk about, and I'm thinking of like Carl Jung and Marcus Aurelius, talk about living in your purpose and anything other than that is a death, is a, you know, is a negative thing. I knew this is what, you know, and I put it in terms of God. I knew this is what God called me to. And if I retreated from it, I don't know where I would have landed. You know, I think it could have gotten, you know, really toxic. And I know the things that helped me survive. 
So it's it's kind of like, you know, are you going to try to swim or are you going to let the enemy army kill you? <laughs> you know, well, I guess I'll try to swim, <laughs> you know, and uh, and it's never failed me. It's always brought me to and even though I don't like it, I don't like what happens when I lose people. I'm angry at reality. But that is how I know how to negotiate life on its own terms. Avoiding it, you know, being resentful at it doesn't do anything but steal me from my purpose. Is that the thing that you hold on to when that stuff happens now that you can lean back on to and go, oh, I'm good. Just keep pressing on. Yeah. And it's not it's not like pressing on in the like the John Wayne sense of like, you know, I'm just going to pull my (laughs) bootstraps up and walk into the village. It's. It really is like opening myself up, my genuine vulnerability, my genuine pain to, you know, a trusted community and to the God I learned to trust and looking at it in reality. I'll procrastinate for three days. I'll watch Netflix. I'll eat too much pizza. And then three days and I'm like, all right, you know, are we going to, we going to do this for the next 40 years or... Or are we going to start doing what gives us life and what's going to heal us? Yeah. To be aware of that, it can easily turn in from three days to three months. And I think we've all been there in some way, shape, no pun intended, and or form. You know, we've all been in different spots like that. It's asking ourselves that question and actually having the balls to be able to say, hold up. It's been 72 hours. I'm putting a lot of crap in my system. Am I going to stop now or am I going to keep doing this? And man, I would not want to be in that spot where I go, I'm going to keep doing this and just continue to make bad decisions. Yet we've all been there and we've all continued to do that sort of stuff. So when that sort of stuff creeps up now, or even with the people you're working with, what sort of tips or, you know, takeaways do you give them to be able to help in those moments? Um, There's a movement called personal medicine. Uh, Pat Deegan started it. She was schizophrenic, uh, is diagnosed schizophrenic. And she was told, you'll never get a doctorate. And she said, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Got a doctorate and created a worldwide system of personal medicine for people who struggle with depression, anxiety, psychosis. You know, get your tool belt. Make your list of personal medicine. What gives me life? And you got to train in the off season. You got to. You got to do it habitually uh, so that it, it builds a, a circuit in your brain so that, you know, whatever, when you're punched, you know, if your first um, reaction is to drop your hands and say, please don't hit me, you're going to get hurt, <laughs> you know. But if you train something else in, then that's what comes out. You know, put your hands up. So for me, it's that instead of I'm going to numb this, it's I'm going to call somebody instead of I'm going to isolate it's I got to be in the sunlight even though I feel like a vampire right now you know it's just giving myself over to the things you know the kind of music I listen to there's times for Johnny Cash and boy there's times Johnny and not working for me you know we need some Stevie Wonder get get the positivity up a little bit um another another thing I'll recommend for you and for any of your listeners there's a book called The War of Art. Uh, It's by the guy who wrote Bagger Vance. And he talks about when we avoid our calling or purpose, the negative things that come and emanate from that. 
you know, so remember, what is my life mission? Be gentle with myself. I'm not trying to be special forces, but what gives me purpose? And how do I organize my life so that it has that? You know, and for me, I can rattle it off. Know your mission statement. I'm here to serve my family. I'm here to serve my community. I'm here to serve the people that nobody cares about. That's it. Uh, personal to me and my faith. I'm here to show everyone God's love and faithfulness. Family, community, people who think nobody cares. Buddhists call it a sangha. You know, 12-step groups call it your support network. Find your little community and make concentric circles. These are the three people that are in. You know, you might have to, you know, take a while to build them. These are the people, 10 people that are next circle out. These are the people I just trust generally. And then everybody else. If you had someone you didn't trust with your child, you would not leave your child around. But we trust people with our hearts all the time that we don't trust. So ordering our supports and our lives around healthy relationships, it's transformative. It minimizes wounding. This life's hard enough. <laughs> and it maximizes the positive influence in our lives so that we can become who we want to be and live in the relationships we want to be in. So for the people that are going through wondering, is this person or this situation worth it? for me to stick around or for me to allow them to stick around? What do you suggest for them? One question I always ask is if this was your niece, your cousin, your best friend, and they called you up and they said, he beat me three times. He's not allowing me to have my own debit card. He controls the money and he cheated twice. What would you say to them? You know, get outside of it and look at somebody you value, because usually we don't value ourselves the same. What would you say to that person? Now, you might not be ready to change today. And I ain't mad at you for that. But know what you know. Don't manipulate your own thinking. You know, if you wouldn't want it for Kimmy, then why is it okay for you? Why are you okay to be abused? So that's one question I'll ask just to kind of to change the person's perception a bit, you know, I will always say, if you choose this, you're allowed to choose this. But what if it never changes? What if this is what it is? What if you're signing up for this continually? Are you okay with that? If you are, that's fine. Oh, no, I, you know, he has, to, he has to stop cheating or she has to, you know, stop stealing my mom's pills or whatever it is. You know, this has to change. Is there any reason to think it's going to... How long has this been the pattern? You know, if you're going to sign up for it, that's fine. I got your back. But I think you have to expect that this is what it is. That's some good stuff right there. Out of, uh, out of all the stuff that you hear and all of the topics and situations that people are going through, what have you been seeing that has kind of been a pattern since uh, the pandemic? Uh, I see a few. Um, addiction went bananas after the pandemic, mental health issues. I mean, we just know we're social creatures. Um, babies that are abused do better than babies that are isolated and have their needs met, but aren't connected to anyone. So you saw mental health go up, you saw addiction go up. 
I really worry. I see a lot of people uh, making money online, and I'm not mad at that. But like the OnlyFans stuff, and with my background in human trafficking, I'm not talking about the person that's deciding to make money on their own. That I'm not demonizing that or shaming that. I just know there are people behind the cameras often that are not choosing this on their own. They're doing it for drug money. They're doing it uh, because they're being threatened that, you know, now that the moratorium on evictions is up, you know, they have a landlord or somebody letting them crash there that's saying, you know, take off your clothes and you can stay here. That's all human trafficking. Anytime there's a financial issue or there's a social upheaval that leaves some people hurting, there's somebody there to monetize that. And that definitely happened here. It happened with human trafficking. It happened with drug addiction. It just helped people gain more control and have more avenues to profit off people's suffering. And with the people that I work with, uh, you know, getting people into rehab is one thing, but trying to get people into trauma-informed or trauma-specific programs, because a lot of times it's so much more complicated if, if you've been trafficked or if as a child you were sexually abused, you know, it just affects your recovery. You know, I try to get people into both of those uh, systems, but they're separate systems usually, especially if you don't have good insurance or the ability to private pay. You know, that stuff doesn't get touched. Just a story on that. Um, I had a woman who went into her drug and alcohol counselor. She had Medicaid and she was African-American. And she had a flashback immediately prior to going to this woman of her father molesting her. And it was visceral. You know, it was tactile feelings. And she went into this woman absolutely just heightened fight flight response, you know, unable to be comfortable in her own skin. And the woman said, listen, we're going to put that in a box. I need to do your paperwork. That's the difference between somebody that has Medicaid or county funding for their treatment stay and somebody that's able to go to Betty Ford Clinic, where they would have appropriately helped her de-escalate, process the trauma. So a lot of what I'm trying to do, especially post the pandemic, is, is try to piecemeal what people need, but don't have the resource for. And thankfully, there are different groups I can almost do that with, but it's uh, it's challenge. I wish we could figure out the one thing that could just solve all, you know, just make it all go away. But you and I both know that that's actually not going to solve the problem. It would immediately fix some of that surfacey pain, but it's not going to actually fix the problem. What's the thing, though, that could fix the problem? And I know that it's people and it's the people, but what's the main thing that you think is kind of the lesson for us to take from this whole debacle that's happened? Treatment needs to do the things that we know work, even if it's expensive and even if it cuts into a profit margin. And that's hard. And nobody really wants to do that. Um, so in lieu of that, uh, we have to be very grassroots. And people that have suffered in these ways 
coming out and saying I was I'm I was molested. When I make that statement, because I am a survivor of child molestation, it has it has an impact on people, especially men, you know, because we tend not to share that. So being able to share that experience, strength, and hope through grassroots opportunities, um, you know, creating groups where men, women, survivors in general, trans community can come together and process this ourselves, being willing to share resources online that aren't monetized or that aren't monetized by the person we're helping so that we can just get it and use it. I love what you're doing because you're trying to help men learn how to be resilient without being false, how to actually, you know, be empowered and know their power without the facade and the mask. And I think that's a lot of just as a culture, uh, what men need to heal. It's not about being a tough guy. It's not, you know, I was, I told you I was raised to be a sociopath. That was a man. You know, it's about dropping the masks, sharing the vulnerability, and realizing there's more strength in that, in sharing vulnerability with other men so that we can all heal collectively and share in each other's strength than running from it and acting like a tough guy. I appreciate that. I appreciate the thought and the encouragement with it. Um, I think you're absolutely right that there are things that we all, men, women, doesn't matter, race, color, gender, any of it, we all wear masks at times. And I truly believe it's about being authentic. Um, you know, I often say to people that I work with, look, you have an open door, or I have an open door, and all of this is open for us to talk about. But if you're just complaining over and over, I'm going to call you out on it. But if you're venting, you're getting through things, then great, because sometimes you need that. You need to go through it, talk through it, and then be able to move, move on from there. Again, men and women need to be able to have those conversations and need to be able to hear that things are okay. I think we also all need to understand that we're not unique. You're not special. This stuff happens. Some people may hear your story and go, that's nothing. Other people might hear your story and just cry and think, how are you even alive anymore? All of us work through our own things, our own ways. So the people that are on that path, that are working toward a path to self-mastery, what suggestions would you give them to be mindful of their mindset? And what's the thing that you would suggest that they take on that path with them? A victim mentality is something that can keep somebody in a really bad spot with their legitimate pain, but it denies part of the truth that you're stronger, that you're able to achieve healing, that you're able to achieve mastery, as you put it. Um, so be very, very aware when, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I didn't get the good clothes. I didn't get the perfect parents. I, I didn't get the rule book for how to live. And it's fine to grieve that, but it's not okay to make it into this is why I can't, you know, this is why I can't succeed. This is why I can't have a good relationship. This is why I drink or whatever else. Then you're just allowing yourself to be victimized more. You're allowing something that happened in the past to steal your present. 
And and I think a thing to really solidify in your own being is I'll be damned if I'm going to let them, you know, people that are out of my life now, people that are dead, steal my present life. It ain't going to happen. So I can grieve it. I can process it. But it can't it can't steal my present because I lost enough. And I, I refuse. And it's like Gandalf, you know, you shall not pass, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like know, claiming my my life now um, and focusing on what you can do. You know, a lot of times working with somebody with an addiction in particular, you know, somebody will say, I want to do anything to change my life. All right. Well, why don't we get you into treatment? Well, not that anything but that. Why don't we go to a 12 step meeting? Any, well, not that, but anything else. All right. Why don't we, you know, get you into outpatient? Ah, no, nah, not that. Focus on what opportunities you have, what options you have today. And don't, don't push them till tomorrow because it'll never happen. This is the only day you have to live in. So whatever options you have, you know, choose which one you want. But if you don't, you're choosing what you've had. And if you're tired of it, like I was tired of mine, choose something else. If, you know, try whatever it is, go to treatment, get a counselor, you know, go to the meeting, you know, read the inspirational literature, put my applications out online, see if I get a bite. Do something today <laughs> that will potentially change your position if you're not happy with it. There'll be resistance to that. You'll feel anxiety about that. You'll try to avoid it in every which way you can. Push past that. Send out the resume. You know, make the phone call. You know, if we seize the moment now to do that thing. Because that can change your entire trajectory. You know, those are some things, other things that I'll say, um, be mindful of your self-talk. Write it down. You know, it's, it's like walking through a supermarket. You don't hear the music. You know, you're just walking in your own fog. Be aware of the messages you're telling yourself. And then change them. You know, if your internal messages are just so stupid, why did you say that? Why did you do that? Or if your own internal messages are like, you know, who do you think you are? You know, who do you think you are? Even trying that. Stay in your lane. Write it down. Become aware of it. And then you can change the soundtrack. You know, most of those come from kids that were mean to us, family members that purposefully or unintentionally gave us negative, poisonous thought processes. Become aware of them. And then switch it up. You know, instead of why am I so stupid? You know, I tried. It didn't work. Here's how I can modify. I gave myself a rule. I can look stupid doing something 10 times. You know, the first 10 times, it's okay for me to look like an absolute ridiculous human being. And by time 11, I guarantee you, I'm going to have a grip on it. I'm going to be able to do it better. Um, so not getting into the mindset of perfectionism or fear of failure, you know, accepting failure is part of the learning process and not making myself bad for it. Michael Jordan didn't get picked. You know, another guy got picked over him. 
and he didn't make it into uh well i guess i i'm i just don't have what it takes you know he made it into a i'm gonna hone my craft until i'm better than anybody else i'll never get i'll never be on the on the second line again ever you know so those are some things to put into place uh looking for distorted thoughts find people that you're close enough to to say hey you know i thought you were mad at me yesterday or hey i thought you were bored i feel like i'm boring you and i i have in trying to see if my projections on other people were accurate, I found out I was 100% wrong, 100% of the time. I was seeing in other people what I felt about myself. So that's another thing with safe people uh, that you can do to change your perceptions of reality, your cognitive distortions. That's basically an episode in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. All of what yeah. you just dropped on us. Man. So thank you for that. And on that note, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for being here, man. I'm so thankful that you've been on the show. Uh, where can people find you? Do you want to share your details? Sure. Um uh, I'm at um, St. John's United Church of Christ, Easton, Pennsylvania. Um, you can find me on uh, TikTok, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Uh, it's Rich or Richard, M-O-L-L-I-C-A. Um, you know, feel free to reach out, and I'll throw this out there if anybody is, is ever in a situation where you need resources. Um, contact me on those, and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Or you can even reach me at my cell phone, 610-809-9641. Man, I appreciate your heart, and I appreciate that you care enough to be able to share your information, even your personal cell phone. Um, I can edit that out if you want me to. If not, I'm also going to leave this in here so people can hear that you actually care to the point to just give out your cell phone. Totally good. People that hear this, don't abuse that and understand that Rich has an incredibly huge heart. And we'll actually do everything he can to be able to help you. So again, Rich, it's been a pleasure to have you. I appreciate you being with us today. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Love and respect you, brother. Thanks for having me. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. Rich is a living example of what it looks like to lead with your heart and truly serve others, even when they may not deserve it at all. Everyone is hurt in some ways, and Rich has made it his mission to help those in need. What did you think about today's episode? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the conversation and those deep topics we got into. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. Those really help other people hear what we're doing and help them as well. And if you really enjoyed the show today, go ahead and share it with your friends. You can check out the show notes for more info, contact info for Rich, and check out other episodes in the Mindset and SelfMasteryShow.com, as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search The Mindset and Self Mastery Show. You'll find us. Thank you again, Rich, for being on the show, for being honest, for being real, and for being real with us. And thank you to you for taking the journey with us today. And with that, remember, your mindset matters. And so do you.